when I go to the theatre, I want to be transported somewhere and I want to I want to live in another world for if only for a little while and I want to I want to sit there and gasp, you know. Hello. I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Sane. Hello, Sane. Hi. <laughs> so, the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? How do I know Dave Pickering? I, this takes me back. I was 19 and I just. God, you're that young. Not anymore. No, but you were that young. (laughs) Yeah, I was that young. I mean, I was younger, but yeah. I was 19. I'd moved to London to be an au pair for a year. That's right. And I was taking dance classes at a place called Danceworks and also a place called The Place. And I met a lovely American lady called Laura. And we just got to talking and she was like, oh, you should come to a barbecue with me and my partner this weekend. And I went to Brixton on my own with some sort of salad probably and <laughs> ended up at this lovely barbecue party and there you were. That's right. And we just, yeah, just got to talking. Kind yeah, of stayed was, in touch on and off. It was a great party. I remember talking to you a lot. We walked back to the station. Me, yeah. you and my girlfriend walked back to the station. Yeah, true. Because I remember that because uh, you were singing this Swedish national anthem <laughs> on the way. <laughs> Oh my god! And we had this kind of conversation about how the Swedish national anthem is nice compared to the... It's very understated and very mellow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how it was. It's funny what what people remember and Mm. and what... Like, I I always find, you know, when I talk to people about sort of things like this, they always remember something completely different from what what stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember Jen being a writer your girlfriend yeah and you were that you were in university but you were working with radio and you were kind of interested in theater and yeah I think I was like yeah that. I mean I don't think I was at I was certainly wasn't at university anymore, well, you're not. no no maybe no. we talked about it then. I will have talked about university though because re- university is kind of where we I studied theater at university yeah, 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 and yeah. I've written for radio and stuff at, mm. th- at that time and so that's where we that's where we will have talked about. It was quite recent after that that I kind of got you involved in the Numbers, numbers which yeah. was a, a radio show that I did for Rethink Daily. Mm. You played a part in that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Sarah Fisher. That's right. That's the, the old name. teacher. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was right. An old teacher of the of the character, the main character. Yeah, exactly. Good. And we recorded it in Matt Hill's living room. That's behind right. Behind a sheet. Yeah. I think, That's right. <laughs> Yeah, he recorded a lot of uh, numbers behind a sheet in his mm-hmm. living room. That was the, the standard studio for that at the time. <laughs> it's funny how that went, because, I mean, the second series of that, an episode got nominated for the Sony Radio Awards. I know, so he that, wrote to me about that. Ah, uh, did he? That's did nice. he win it? Because I didn't hear we anything. Didn't, we didn't win. We, we didn't win. But, but we still. went we went along, and yeah. we, we, we had the experience of going to an awards ceremony, which was an interesting one. Did you get good food? Good food, but it's expensive to go to the award ceremony. Oh, if you're the BBC, then they pay for it because we're independent Obviously people. You have to we had to find our own money for it. Wow! Yeah. Oh so, wow! So, but it, but it was an interesting experience, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so moving away from that slightly traumatic memory for me. <laughs> the other question that I ask people is, what do you do now? I am 
in my third year of East 15 acting school where I study physical theatre at their the BA honours course. That sounds really arsy. But <laughs> essentially, I've been jumping around in studios in black clothes with 18 other people for about three years now, trying to learn how to breathe together and how to tell stories together. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, so, okay, so your course generally, like, because when I met you, you were, had done some dancing already, yeah? Yeah, I was more into dancing and I wanted to be a choreographer when I was younger. So I actually, after living a year in London, I moved back to Sweden and I did a two-year diploma in modern dancing and choreography. And then I started up my own company and we did a show together for a year while I was teaching. So, you know, I did the whole teaching daytime, rehearsing or waiting tables evenings. Wow. It was a really good year. And then I decided to give drama school in England one more go. So I applied to East 15 to their acting course, actually, because I, back then, I didn't really know what physical theatre was. I just felt that something in what I was creating was missing and I needed to study another element of, like, stage craft. Yeah. So I was like, theatre, I need to go back to theatre. And I went to East 15 Acting School and I auditioned for their acting course, which is very kind of American method-based, as far as I understand. It's very much about realism and stuff like Stanislavski that. Stanislavski stuff. I think, but, like, early Stanislavski. Okay. They basically saw that I was a clown and sent me to the other clowns. <laughs> so they put me in the physical theatre course and I'm so happy that they did because the way we work works so well with what I'm interested in. Because I'm not interested in realism yeah. or naturalism really. I, when I go to the theatre, I want to be transported somewhere and I want to... I want to live in another world for, if only for a little while and I want to I want to sit there and gasp, you know? Yeah. So, and also I, I believe that stagecraft that involves the performers, when the performers have been a, been a part of the creation, creational, do you say creational process? The creative process. Yeah. I think that the ownership on stage is so much greater and they enjoy it so much more, which means it's easy, easier for the audience to enjoy it. That's right, because you, 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 you're studying mainly something that is called devised theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listeners may not be aware of what this is. I mean, I, I, I did some devised theatre at uni, mm. and I hadn't come across devised theatre until I went to uni, actually. Nor did I. <laughs> and and it's, it's, yeah, it's when the performers get together and they generate material yeah. through various different ways. There's different ways you can approach it, mm. different directors or different groups, because often the devised pieces don't have a director but yeah. they need one, I think. In my experience, when we ha- when we haven't had a, an outside eye able to sort of put everything together, yeah. it's hard. What we do in my course, or have been doing, is that for your first two years, we have something called Theatre Cafe every Friday, or every other Friday afternoon. And we were just given a theme, for example, the chase. And then you're, in your own time, in whatever groups or constellations you like to create, you um, create a piece that has something to do with the chase and you can interpret that yourself and it doesn't have to be long like two to ten minutes and then you show it on theatre cafe and that's how that's and then obviously you don't have a director but you you learn how to 
create things in different constellations. And you see what works um, and what doesn't, yes, I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And we're encouraged to make mistakes. Cause, and we get lots of very harsh feedback, but we always get lo- loads of applause as well. And, and that's our first two years. And then we go into our third year. It's all about creating shows. What I find with device theatre, a director can really help elevate your work. Because like you say, an outside eye can can try and identify what you're trying to say and help you clarify that yeah. on stage. But if you have a director who doesn't understand device theatre, they can mess you up as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. You've done scripted work yeah, in the past. Yeah, much. Okay. <laughs> but I have, yeah, a little bit. The only script, I mean, I, I, all I knew is that you'd definitely done my script. But I had yeah, I've definitely yeah. done your script. <laughs> Devised work is a very different kind of process mm. than scripted work mm. I mean you have to give of yourself mm-hmm. a lot more like I guess if you're following a script then yeah you can use emotional recall and stuff from your own life to fit what somebody else has got but when you're devising it all has to come from you it's it's basically like writing or making music it, you are the art is coming out of you rather than you're yeah. presenting somebody else's, else's yes. work yeah definitely but I guess the philosophy that we've been working the mostly with is the most important thing is that the audience feels something yeah. and your job is to communicate an atmosphere or sensation to the audience it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you feel that every time yeah. or that you have experienced it either but the, the, the work and, and the, the craft is to be able to to create create a sensation of that or an atmosphere or or a hint of that yeah i think but i mean if it's physical theater as well it comes from you and your body like mm-hmm. um yeah yeah but that's what's so interesting how, how bodies relate in space how much that can can say i don't have to i don't have to tell you how i feel about you because the way i relate to you will show that yeah and and also the like distances and how you move and and what makes you move what makes you speak like in, in our first term in first year, God, this is like a big promotion for my course. Don't take it like that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's just been such an amazing experience because the first term in our first year, we didn't speak. So we were just investigating what happens before words are necessary. Like how much is there in the silence and how, how much can be said without words? There, there's so much. I think it's so easy for us to walk on stage and feel the need to talk. And yeah. they need to tell people things but if you I think it's a really good good challenge to try to refrain from telling people things and just trying to to, to like exp- experience something there and, and relate and share god it's so difficult to speak about but it's so hard to talk about movement talk about isn't it. it yeah I mean it really is I mean I did a year of dance at uni uh-huh. so you wouldn't think it Um, and I mean I'm glad I did that because it did help me to understand Mm. this thing about like you say bodies in space and understanding my own body within space and uh, you know I I did sort of devised pieces of dance I sort of I'm aware that people listening may sort of think this is all very kind of sounds very pretentious and ridiculous but but actually (laughs) the actual results are often things I think that are accessible and that people can engage yeah, with. It, I actually it, think it's more accessible. 
well, many I, times. It, it depends on what you're used to, I think. I think that people have a barrier that they put up, which you have mm-hmm. to get through. But, but you're right. When I was at uni, one of the experiences that I was surprised at is that I much preferred the dance and the physical theatre stuff than anything that was scripted, what mm-hmm. we saw, because it really broke through viscerally into my experience. So you, you're right. Things like, I mean, we saw a, a dance piece where the performers would throw themselves over this wall it was kind of about eastern europe and they would throw them they threw themselves over this wall onto a, a stage covered in stones and it was like they just kept smacking down and yeah. it was like just that 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 the reality of the physical presence of mm. a person throwing themselves off a wall onto some stones repeatedly and you watching that that broke through any kind of uh, you know when you're trying to be kind of objective and critically evaluate something and look at it kind yeah. of uh, unemotionally that kind of rips into you and you're like wow and you're like you're right you can kind of create magic in physical theater mm. that you can't you can't do in a scripted play and not in the same way I think I, I think you can but it, it, like, I don't think the writer can create that magic. Yeah, no, that's right. Fair I enough. think the performers has to. We actually took a devised piece to Edinburgh oh, right, and did really? a, a show there. That piece, in the end, was good, but it, it could have benefited from having one outside eye. It had mm-hmm. three outside eyes, I think, three different kind of conflicting okay. directions. But the final piece, you know, we all pulled together and we did, we did pare it down into something mm. very cohesive and accessible, I think. Do you think it all depends on what your initial kind of Okay, I'm trying to work out how to raise this. So, a device piece could be anything. Yeah. Because you could just sit in a room and say, let's work something out. Mm. But that doesn't really give you anything as performers to work with. So if I sat a load of you down in a room and said, right, okay, go into this theatre tomorrow and make something, Mm. it might be brilliant, but it's unlikely to be brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, well... But if I was to give you a framework, then you might come up with something that, you know, you've got something to work with. So when we did our show, we said we want to make it about time. Mm. And that led it to become something about mortality and and, and how much time you've got in your life. And and so a lot of our concerns at the time as students just about to go out into the world and worried about would we achieve and would we be successful and all of yeah, these exactly. things they came through into it but if, if but that was from the initial premise like if we hadn't had a good premise to start with I, and, and even that I don't think that premise was as good as some premises do you know what I mean just no. time that's quite it's wide it's very broad but I think every process needs to start with research yeah and and I think the most important thing is that the creators and the performers need to feel very passionate about whatever it is and I think it's helpful if, if you don't know too much about the subject either. If you still have questions, because then you can try and find out through, through the process like, what it is. Like, if, like ask the question through your creative work and then maybe not have the answer for the audience because... You don't want to preach to the audience. <laughs> they make their own decisions. Like, yeah. They make their own like, answers. And people who want to go to lectures, they can go to lectures, but you don't want to come into the theatre and see performers preaching to you. At least I don't. It is hard to talk about, isn't it? But yeah, I agree that it, I think you need you need some, some something to tie you together. Yeah. Some some sort of theme, some kind of common interest. The reason I think that people think of 
this kind of theatre and this kind of performance sometimes is pretentious or unrelatable or just something they can't connect to is because they've seen a lot of bad examples yeah. of it yeah. because when in its worst example it is very wishy-washy like you, you know people don't like you're right you don't want to come to a final conclusion necessarily for the audience but you have no. to know what what you're doing and yeah, so you often to, you yeah. see these kind of pieces where people don't know what they're doing they haven't they've just got up on stage too early they haven't spent enough yeah. time working it through and that's the thing it takes long process I, th I think it takes a long process but I think the more time you get the the more the more quality you can reach because it isn't something that's written down already because everything you it will always be a work in progress I guess yeah. it will never be finished which makes it so exciting and it also makes it I think I think the simpler the story the better in a way because there is so much poetry that you can bring into simple stories and usually simple stories hide very deep things behind them so if you stick to a simple story and bring it to you you can usually reveal that poetry rather than taking something very complicated mm -hmm. and trying to narrow it down yeah that no, I, I do know what you mean and I think you're probably right certainly I think you're right for the area that you're talking about I think there are lots of different kinds of like a novel if you're making a novel mm. then I think sometimes there can be real kind of enjoyment in a complicated story. Mm, absolutely. And, and, and I'm sure you're not saying that, but I think for, for the genre you're talking about, for physical theatre, yeah. I, I, I definitely think a simple basis, a simple framework for you then to develop from yeah. and to, to explore. Because that's kind of what it is. I mean, the kind of theatre that you do is, I think, the closest to the, to the word play. Like, it's closer to the, to the word play than what we think of as a play, which yeah, is a script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you are playing. The, the, yeah, and the play has to be there all the time, even when you're devising. You 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 have to you have to play. You have to you have to find games on stage as well. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to to talk and not sound like I'm just quoting my course leader. I know I can I can I notice his words coming into well, my mouth. I mean that's natural. It, uh, it is natural, and I agree with most of it. So I guess and I'm. But. But having said that about the simple story, before Christmas, we, me and my classmates, we, we devised Master Margarita, our own version, based on Bulyakov's novel, together with a director as well. And that is such a complicated story, and it's so surreal and really sarcastic and satirical, and it has three different plot lines running along each other. Okay. So yeah, of course you can take complicated stories. Then again, that was already written. Yeah, so someone's already done the work. Yeah, but we way. had to cut so much. <laughs> to be able to <laughs> to make it to make well, it well if it's from a novel you'd have to just in terms of time yeah can't. absolutely yeah and what, what did you feel that that was a successful performance then yeah I had I had a brilliant time we got loads of good feedback it was a really interesting process definitely so yeah I'm happy with that Complicity are doing a really long version of Master and Margarita right now which I'm going to try and go see I think they are trying to stick to all the plot lines. Wow. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they've done with it. <laughs> I think as a creator, I'm probably quite close to, I'm closer to than you, it sounds like, to realism. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I have an interest in exploring realism. But uh, I often think that, that through fantasy or science fiction or fairy tale, you can get to a closer version of realism because yeah. you can kind of look at things from a slight angle, which means you can see them better. You can see, there's a 
quote. I can't, uh, is it? Picasso says, art is a lie which brings us nearer to the truth. Oh, that's a good quote. Yeah. And that's a true quote. <laughs> but you were looking Ironic. for another quote. I, is it, it's Victor Sloster, I think. Or I, can't, I can't remember his surname. He's a Russian structuralist. He talked about art should be making the stone more stony and oh yeah 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 like you yes I, uh-huh mm-hmm. and 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 so that that's the kind of that's that's my approach but i also on in stage work i also really enjoy those magical moments when when something happens and you you don't even quite understand why or what's happening and, yeah. and it's and it, and, it, and it kind of gives you this kind of weird feeling inside i, I never saw the performance but i've i've heard so much about it oh, i can't remember that it might have been Peter Brook. I think it was Peter Brook did a version of The Tempest mm. where when Ariel is let go, um, is released, uh, the actor sort of ran off the stage. It was outdoors and there was a lake behind them and the actor ran off the stage and, uh, and ran over the lake. Like they'd put boards wow. down over the lake so it looked like she was, she was running on the water. water and then off and then carrying on, you know, yeah. right out of the distance over the it horizon. It actually gives me goosebumps just, yeah. to, just you talking exactly. about it. I mean, that's, I, I wish I'd seen it because mm. it's just like, that, that's how, that's what you can do in, uh, on stage that you can't ever do in a, in a film or in a book or anything. It's just that kind of live event yeah it's here and now yeah. and, and it will never happen again yeah yeah she might run across that lake tomorrow again but it's not the same thing because that's yeah that's what ha- what's happening tomorrow but and that's also what's happening now it's here now and like yeah that's it's not a recording and there's that chance as well that that she could miss a mark and yeah, just run exactly. into the water that risk <laughs> yes. yeah i think risk is so important yeah so important so it, important that brings that brings like the extra spark into it that's why we play a lot of games like really childish games, but you can really tell because when a game is good, when a game's working, all the, all of us who aren't playing or are waiting to play, we we sit like at the edge of. We don't have chairs, but if we had chairs, we'd sit at the edge of our seats. You really lean in and you're like cheering. And then when people stop taking risks and start playing with their brains and being tactic, then you just you get bored and you sit back. And yeah. then we we start we snore at each other when it gets boring. We just like. And then someone has to take a leap and someone has to go for it, even though they might lose, but at least it's more exciting to watch. So in the devised process for you guys, it's about kind of disconnecting your brain from what you're doing, like so that yeah. you're sort of experiencing well, it, do you think? Or is that fair? Or I'm not saying you're not thinking it through, but... One of my teachers, she always says that creating is throwing shit on the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. So we just try and make loads, say yes to everyone, which is sometimes really hard when someone has a shit idea. Yeah. But you have to say yes. And... Either you were wrong and it wasn't a shit idea and it ends up in the show or it was a shit idea and they realise that it was a shit idea by trying it out. And they see why. Yeah. And so maybe next time they have a better idea. Yeah, yeah. or like you, or maybe one thing worked in that idea and you stick to that thing and you put, put another idea on top and you just keep working. But you have to, I think you just have to do it. Yeah, oh, but that's a good point. I mean, my experience of devised pieces as well is that what you generate the material you generate is so different from what it ends up as yeah. as well that that sometimes you know something that you threw away will come mm-hmm. back yeah. near the end or or something or some like you say some texture of it mm-hmm. will kind of go through into the work yeah. so even if you sort of do something that just seemed like a dead end completely that day it will have some kind of resonance within the, yeah. the final piece mm-hmm. and I think that element is probably quite common across the art forms like uh, when you're writing I think like I, I, I do a lot of writing mm. and I mean you, you might throw away chapters 
you might you know but it was worth it was worth writing that chapter yeah because maybe it told you something about that yeah, character that exactly. informs their decisions later yeah. on or or maybe there's a line in it that's great and yeah. that that, you know, <laughs> that one line will stay yeah. and the rest you know so what you know it, yeah. it, it, it's worth it for that one line and mm. i think it's that's quite a kind of comparable process i think to the devised world because my course i didn't know it was going to be mostly devised and i didn't know what devised was no same with me same with me well it sounds like you had a very different experience though because my my experience was okay i really like some of the work that people make using this method but it's not for me okay you know i spent three years working that out the reasons that i kind of bumped bumped against it was really because i wanted to do scripted work and, mm. and when i wrote a script they would then make me take it away and rip it rip it apart take yeah. it apart devise <laughs> it and then the final piece wouldn't wouldn't be as good as what i wrote i didn't think and then the thing is with art is that it's subjective so you wouldn't even get the mark like you you can do everything that they tell you to do and mm -hmm. they still you still might get a terrible mark on the actual day because yeah. the other person that's who's who isn't the person who's your tutor who's been telling you what to do might not agree with that tutor no, exactly you know? and that's that's very frustrating that really sucks. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, no, I was really, I struggled so much the first year because it was so frustrating because we didn't know how to work together either. To say yes is so hard. Mm. And to to just put your brilliant idea to to one side for someone else's, in your eyes, half-assed idea yeah. is so hard. But sometimes it's the only thing you have to do because, yeah. because you, you have to be generous with each other and... And at the end of the day, it's going to be worth it because if you just say yes, you can try out 10 ideas during the same time it takes to argue about one. Yeah, that's know? a good point. So if you ju And then you generated 10 more minutes maybe than just one minute of your idea. So just say, yeah, we'll try that and you do it and you got something and then, okay, will you also try this? Yeah, you do it. And usually it's like, it's like you find one thing that's common with all these 10 ideas and that's what you're going to stick with anyway it's not going to be one it's very seldom we go with one person's exact idea usually we try it change one thing try it again add something try it again and then so the essence of everybody is in the final piece anyway but it's a skill to work like that and i think me and my group didn't find that until the end of our second year i think it's kind of getting rid of ego isn't it yes yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the older I get, and more more art I make in different mediums, the more I come to the conclusion that that really, like all artists, should aspire to get rid of as much ego as possible in their art. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have ego in your life. Yeah, you that's, have to. Otherwise, <laughs> and that's healthy, and that's actually useful for to an artist as well to have mm -hmm. some ego. But yeah, getting rid of ego in the work is is really important. I think. Yeah. That's also something that we keep saying <laughs> that we, when we are on stage together, we are there to make everyone else look wonderful. Which was such a liberation for me because as a dancer, I always felt very inadequate. I was never as, I never felt that I was as good as the others. And I always had to fight. I was very rarely asked to be in someone's piece. And yeah, I had to fight really hard to stay to stay at the same kind of level as my friends, whereas everything seemed to be very easy for them and I always felt inadequate on stage. And then I came here and that philosophy came into my, my life that I don't have to worry about me 
because my job is to make everyone else look wonderful. And when I'm on stage with my 18 classmates, I have 18 other people who are trying to make me look wonderful. Yeah. That's really, that's a really comforting thought when yeah. you're out there. Because I'm like, I get nervous and then it's okay because Amanda's here to make me look wonderful. It's fine, <laughs> like, or whoever I'm on stage with. Yeah, no, totally. So, yeah, less ego, more, more throwing shit on the wall to see what sticks. <laughs> when did you first get interested in, in movement, in dance? Theatre was my first interest. My right. parents say that they still don't want, know why I wanted to do theatre, but the first thing I started talking about when I could talk was that I wanted to do theatre. And they don't understand why, because I come from this... They don't know where the vocabulary came from. No, they the were like, why, came... where did you get that from? Because we come from this small, small town in southwest of Sweden, and there is no theatre there. Sometimes, yeah, there are a few kind touring companies who come every now and then. And my mum or dad would take me whenever there was something, but it was very rare that it came. So they still, to this day, don't know where I got that from, that I wanted to be in theatre. And there was no theatre group for kids, so they put me in dance school because that was the closest thing they could think about. Okay. So I've been dancing since I was four right. due to the lack of theatre. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really happy about that. Like you said, I think it brings... Everything informs everything. Yeah, I think. yeah. So. I mean, I, I certainly have learned to... Although there's, there's kind of the residue of it still, I guess, in, in, in the way I talk about it, I've, I've, I try to chalk everything down as ex- as good experience yeah. because it, it was everything's a learning experience like mm. you say and so you were dancing from four yeah and you were saying that you until you came here though you didn't feel that you were kind of meshing with the kind of dance, dance no, experience no it was always very hard for me to, to dance still is probably because the dancer ideal comes from a body that isn't just a trained body it's a genetic body like you have to be born with very open hips with a very thin frame all of that at least the ideal of course now we're in a very contemporary world where there are people who challenge this yeah often the most interesting dance I think because it's like with music I, I, I often say like to get an interesting rock band now all you need to have is everybody be a woman because for, <laughs> for years and years and years there's been no women in rock so so that's that just changes the dynamic just as soon as you have so if you have someone uh, like to, to, to draw it back to what you were saying if you have someone who's not the stereotype, stereotype mm. that can be very very interesting to yep. watch I remember I saw an old man doing a dance piece about death once in the Edinburgh Festival and, wow. uh, and I was like this is this is better than so many dance pieces that I've seen in my yeah. life you know this is uh, oh it was it was amazing but yeah mm-hmm. no I mean it's definitely been challenged but but it was still very difficult for me to dance even it's, though I loved it it's only occasionally being challenged as well really yeah. generally yeah there's the you still have like the the, 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 the image of the the ideal dancer and they still get work yes so <laughs> so then I was drawn towards choreography probably because I also felt that urge to create and like I said it was just a lucky mistake basically that I ended up on the course where I ended up on and ended up discovering all these wonderful things with all my wonderful classmates and you've done and so you've done acting you've done dancing every mm. do do you sing yeah. I thought you did. I, I do. Uh, it's my favourite thing. Because <laughs> well, the first time I like the first time I met you, you were singing the, the, the Swedish <laughs> anthem, like I say, and it was very yeah. pleasant. And as a musician, I noted, <laughs> even in that drunk state, <laughs> that, that, that you were singing very well, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. No, that's... I've, my dad's always been playing and singing 
My brother is a great singer and he plays. My sister is a beautiful singer. My cousin is a great singer and he also plays. Like, I've always had music around me. My mum loves music, she's always playing music. But I, think, but I think that's why I've never chosen it as a profession, really. I've never had... I've been in choirs and I've had singing lessons and piano lessons and I recently started playing the accordion as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like the accordion. But I, I've, I've never been attracted to studying music on its own as an art form on its own. I think music is... I love using music on stage like live having <clears throat> like to play it and sing it live but I think because I have so many people in my family who are pursuing it more or less professionally I always felt that I needed to take another path okay so it's kind of almost too easy to, to do this to do music I'm not saying that you are kind of saying it's easy to do music no. I mean it was just it would have been the obvious thing to do yeah in a way and also I've, I'm not as eager to explore music as I am to explore what I'm exploring now. Yeah. And I, yeah. Well, music and acting and dance are all the tools you need yeah. to be a devised performer because if yeah. you've got those three things, then you can kind of make your body do whatever yeah, exactly. is, ne is needed from the piece. Because your body is your instrument, right? And, it, and the body can do so many things like make music and make, make shapes and poetry in the air, you know, like, yeah, I, <laughs> it's so hard to speak of these things without sounding like a hippie in Woodstock yeah but, I know what you mean um, <laughs> but still I mean it's true bee. still yeah. I'm sorry but I haven't seen a bumblebee I guess it's the first bumblebee of spring because yeah. we're in a park in uh, in an area that neither of us know very well at all in the Docklands in London mm-hmm because you were auditioning today, weren't you? Yeah, I went to an audition today. And it was really funny, actually. I was, I was, I was telling Dave before he turned on the record, I came into this warm-up room, and of course I have all these tiny girls who are turn, like bending themselves inside out, and I'm, I'm not that tiny. I'm not that flexible. She's not so, untiny, though. No, I mean, she's not. She's like, she, you know... I, I like you, my food. You have a normal. You have a normal. You're a normal woman. Yeah, I have a normal body. I'm yeah. not. I'm, I'm not a petite, basically, and I'm not that flexible. So I'm like, I'm touching my toes and trying to like roll my pelvis and warming up. And then we come into the, to the audition room, and before me, I have two like quite sturdy, really muscular yeah. women. Black Swan style. Yeah, but no, 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 not at all, because they're really muscular but they're tiny like tiny muscular ballerinas okay but these women were like hefty hefty okay. like they had you could, yeah and they were throwing themselves off of scaffolds and stuff so all of a sudden i felt so much better about myself <laughs> <laughs> you were saying to me as well off mic before we started that sort of social politics is something that you're particularly interested in particularly yeah. in terms of gender mm. but it's something that you find really hard to i don't want to say crowbar but put into, feed into the actual work you're yeah. doing. Yeah, I think because, I, like I said, I'm not interested in being preachy. Yeah. And something can get, political theatre I find is very difficult because it can easily get really insistent or very, it's like acted out journalism as well. Yeah. And, I, and I love watching documentaries and listen to the radio and read my newspapers and stuff like that. But 
But in the theatre, I have yet to see a political piece that's aiming to be political and that actually drew me in through its theatricality as well, not just, yeah, it was an okay piece and I really respect these, the subject. Yeah, you know, yeah, I really, I, I would love to go and be p completely theatrically seduced and then go away and really, really think about that issue. Because like, usually it's one of them. You see, I think it, you're in the area that I think it can happen, though. I mean, I yeah, think. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, it is hard to make political stuff full stop. Maybe novels is the easiest way to be political and not 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 be too preachy because you can have lots of different characters and blah blah blah, mm. and you have a long time to get into stuff. I mean, wh one of the things I do is make music and songs, and political songs are really hard to to get right because you, you, people really find them preachy. Like yeah. if you're not quick, if you're not careful, like three minutes isn't very long to address a subject, and mm. so you can very easily end up being preachy, and that's something I wrestle with. Or just like pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> you get many many political songs and music comes off as just I don't care what you think. I'm just pissed off right now. I yeah. just want to say this, that's and then I'm done. Entirely true, but but physical theatre and dance those are areas where you can kind of demonstrate like I'm going to see on Wednesday this week DVA yeah I want to see them too ah. maybe you can book me a ticket well I can book you a ticket <laughs> I, 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 I'll pay you they're expensive yeah. but yeah it's in the National Theatre at the mm. moment so you should definitely try they're there for a while so it's our big treat this month like it's like I've got no money for the rest of the month but we're going to DVA they do it very well mm. I think and I don't know if this piece will or not I haven't seen it yet and this one's about kind of terror the like, sounds like it's about the war on terror a little bit and about that yeah, kind of area. Yeah, can we talk about this? Yeah, right. can we talk about this? That's right. And so they're going into kind of areas that are difficult, but they always have. Like, I've never seen them live, but I've seen the video of Enter Achilles and uh, the video of Dead, Dead Dreams of Monochrome Men. Okay. Both of them are about masculinity mm. and queerness and all of that kind of area of things, but they don't come off as preachy because it is just bodies in space. Having a dance piece set in a pub with a lot of masculine men suddenly doing weird dance yeah. pieces and then going back into normal, this is in Enter Achilles, going back into normal kind of uh, man, m man, stuff. Man, man, <laughs> man stuff. That really, it, it does make you think about that political topic of gender and mm. uh, sexuality and how we present ourselves and how men communicate uh, in a way that, that I don't, it's really hard to do without, without that. It is that kind of fantasy making you look closer at reality kind of thing that I'm talking about mm. and what I like in things. So maybe you're in the right area is yeah, what I guess I, I I'm trying to say. Yeah, I am. One area that we, uh, that we kind of explore in, in our first year was, was Buffon. Okay. Then, do you know? Yeah, I've heard, I've, I've heard, but... It got, it's like a very blunt form of satire when you basically, you, you, like, you, you, you mask yourself with a body mask, like you make yourself hideous, you create bumps and like makeup and and you assume these really weird positions and you like they say that the, or Jacques Lecoq said that the Buffon believers in nothing right and therefore mocks everything and okay. they, therefore they they can say anything like kind of the, like like the fool or, or yeah something like that exactly in, it's the fool yeah. with that body mask then you can all of a sudden address things that are very touchy but since you you look ridiculous and you're you're obviously an outcast you can talk about it. Yeah. I so still have, have to find find even better ways to approach sensitive subjects or like burning subjects. And what are 
what are those well like subjects? you said gen- gender like like you said just now it's it's still so 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 like relevant and so provocative like like uh, just a few weeks ago there was a guy in in the lobby of our university who was wearing a skirt just a normal bloke but he was wearing a skirt and so many people couldn't let this go they were like looking back and when we came out they were like see the state of him oh my god and i'm just like dude it's a guy in a skirt it's not that big a deal it's just an item of clothing yeah but but uh, you know he's 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 a dude (laughs) and people had it's still still in 2012 in england it's a huge deal if a man is wearing a skirt. Yeah. Women have been wearing trousers for how Ages, long? Yeah. 80 years or something like that? I don't even know. And it's just so interesting that female symbols, for a man to, to ad- adopt a female symbol, is, yeah. like, is still such a huge deal. Like, well, I think the pressure on men being masculine is so much, so much heavier. I find it hard that pressure but I don't think mm. it's I don't, I don't think it's worse than the pressure on women to be female though. I think it's different yeah I think I think I tend to think that women are if women women tend to get oppressed in in situations that are about power and money whereas men tend to get oppressed in situations that are about expression s- yeah expression and social social expectations um, yeah. that men's like what do you call it role Gen- gender role yeah is a lot more narrow than a woman's because a woman has been upping her status for so long by by acting like a man dressing like a man yeah like, yeah all of that but then it's interesting i mean because like what you're saying about wearing a skirt it's, it's like a that makes you more vulnerable mm. and i know when i was walking to yeah absolutely and when i was walking to interview today a woman ran past me and she was wearing a skirt mm. and high heels and she was trying to run mm. and this was the and it was you know it was it, it wasn't the right clothes to be <laughs> wearing to run and i was sort of watching watching her thinking you know it's it's crazy that she's kind of disadvantaged like if 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 i had to run for this bus and she had to run for this bus like i could get there first and mm. i would definitely get on that bus whereas the fact that she is kind of wearing these high heels and this kind of tight skirt with a kind of slip like it's just not it's just it's not practical no. what she's wearing but she's wearing that to get another advantage. Yeah. yeah. Which also is very interesting. Yeah. No, there are lots of politics about, yeah. like, how, you know, what people are wearing and what... Yeah, cl- and uh, what you're saying yeah. with it and how you're asking people to watch you. Which is so annoying as well, because all these conventions are things that we've invented. Like, I was, I was listening to a programme about... Jean d'Arc originally, but but they also they talked about how because Jean d'Arc was burned on the stake. It's not only for hearing the voices of saints, but but because she was dressing like a man, she was she she cut her hair short and yeah. she was wearing trousers and an armor. Did you say armor? Yeah, armor's yeah. armor's right. Uh, yeah. So we're um, talking about Joan of Arc. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I pronounced it no, no, the you, French way. You should. You, yeah. you pronounced it correctly. <laughs> I was just making sure that people incorrect yeah. he, hearing it wouldn't wouldn't incorrectly. Yeah. No, Joan of Arc. Hear it weirdly. And 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 they said it, that was one of the biggest things they held against her that you are breaking the universal 
laws or like no the, the, the gods laws about how women and men are different and need to be different but, but they also spoke about how how different we have seen men and women because in the 17th century or 1700s men and women looked very much the same if we go to the portrait gallery and we look at the paintings the the the, the ideal of the faces the big eyes and the very very like round faces the very soft skin the gray wigs and they're all wearing the pastel colors they're all the same for men and women it's very hard to distinguish them it's just that the women are wearing very big skirts and the men are wearing very <laughs> tiny trousers and but they are wearing silk stockings silk stockings and lace and like pastel silks and stuff like that yeah so this ideal of, of what is a man and what is a woman has been changing changes all the all time, the time as well. and it's it's different all over the world as well in yeah. different cultures currently there are different ways that people see femininity and masculinity and and, mm. and, and, and body shape not even clothes like what they value as beautiful yeah. is different in different places mm -hmm. like in different cultural kind of uh, culture in different cultures I don't know why I'm looking for a, a word it's, it's just cultures yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's still a really for me it's still really frustrating that we that it's still so important for us to differentiate oh, some very angry mothers yes. shouting at their very excited children their children who are playing how dare they play it in it's, a park? It's bad, yeah. It's bad. They should know to behave. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, not. Oh, apparently they're afraid that they'll eat the poo on the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, um, what were, what were we talking about? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's we were, yeah. still so interesting how there's this need to emphasize differences between men and women. Because to me, it's like if, if there are differences, if there are biological differences between us, they will sort themselves out. We don't have to emphasize them. <laughs> we don't have to, uh, we don't have to teach our children to be boys and girls because if it's that important, they will just if, if these qualities are innate, yeah. then they will get them anyway. They'll get them anyway. Yeah. So I, I would think it would, I think it would be so beneficial if we could just Whoa. <laughs> stop shouting at our children. <laughs> uh, no, if we could just relax a bit with the gender roles. Yeah. And Maybe let our kids play in the in the park. Yes, and allow our children to play in the park. <laughs> God. Wow. Uh, I think it's time for an interval. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to. It's, yeah. It's hard to. It's hard to keep, maintain. Because for me as well, because we, I've got the headphones on, I yeah. can kind of hear it really intensely in my head oh. when she's shouting and when she's uh, when she's engaging with her children over there. Uh, and it almost sounds like it's a radio show for me. Like, do you oh, know what I mean? See. When I'm actually interviewing someone, like someone in the background. Yeah. 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 So it's <laughs> it, like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's a it's a good example of 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 what I like happening in this show in a way, which is mm. it makes it really clear that this happened in a moment. You know, yeah, that this happened. The same as this was a, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's actually weirdly that's one of the things I'm really enjoying about this pro project is it gives me some of the things I get from theatre. I haven't mm. made theatre in a long time, yeah. but I am. I'm doing a show now, but until then, I hadn't. And and I sort of was suddenly going, oh yeah, look, 
that's a that's a moment that could only happen in that moment. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and yeah, exciting. And now it's gone. And it's it's not gone. coming back. Another interview that I was listening to a few days ago was an interview of two parents who've chosen to try and give their children a gender-free upbringing. Okay. And it was like not that we're not that we're trying to hide from our children like what genitals they have or anything. It's just that we want to allow our children to find what they identify with and maybe the one thing you identify with isn't foremost your genitals maybe it's something else maybe oh i'm i'm an i'm a musician a tennis player and i have a penis and most people call me a boy like maybe that's maybe that's how you want to identify yourself god this comes out really messy but but I, it was very interesting to listen to them because because they also said it's interesting to see how people because they don't they just let their kids dress how they want and they they have non-gender specific names for them and they said it's very interesting to see how people are so people get so confused when they can't see if it's a boy or a girl even if it's a three-year-old yeah, kid yeah they really get upset about that yeah, yeah, yeah and if they say wrong which you and they say usually we don't correct them because it doesn't matter to us if it's a him or a she like it doesn't matter but but if they get it wrong, they get so apologetic about it, yeah. as if it's an offence. And they're like, why would it be a bad thing? That's because if you do get it wrong, because I, I, I get it wrong relatively often, because yeah. I work with children under five, if you do get it wrong, generally speaking, parents are really upset. Which is so <laughs> silly. I know. It's so silly, but that's, that's how much value we put in this idea we have about what is a man and what is a woman and it's so bad for a woman to have male-like qualities and it's so bad for a man to have female-like qualities even though we've just invented them and just placed them on top of each other at least that's what I think some people wouldn't agree with me but that's what I think I think so much of our behavior and our ideal is something that we are we are taught it's not something that comes to find out how much is natural you have to get rid of the social I mean that's the thing uh, I think there are probably uh, elements of gender, elements of human existence that mm. are biologically determined. Oh, obviously. But, yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, but apart from the most obvious, like, I think there probably are sort of slight differences in the way that we think. Not to say that we think that either is lesser than, you know, that's the that's the real problem I have. But, but, but those differences, I think, are across the spectrum. So you have, like, so gender is one of the things that we have more or less of. So mm. um, people talk about autism as being the extreme male brain. There's been some sort of studies. And, I mean, and that's a spectrum. And you get autistic women mm. and you get autistic men. And so the fact that you get autistic men and autistic women should suggest to us that, yeah. that, that gender isn't as important as we no. think. Uh, growing up as a man... I've of, I've often felt very unmale, and that was a, something that I found very problematic growing up. But mm. now I don't even I don't even care about it at all like that particularly. I mean I do care about it on a social level, but on a personal level I, I don't I don't care if I. In fact, I kind of militantly want to just be unmale. No, <laughs> you know, be unmale as much as just possible. Just that shows that it's something that you have to. To to me, it's like. Being a woman should just being a woman because because I, I happen to have a vagina and ovaries and breasts, which makes me a woman. I don't think I should have to tick loads of boxes in my behaviour or my choices 
to to be a woman, whether I love women or men, whether I whether I'm very strong or very weak, whether I drive a car very fast or you know all yeah, these yeah, things. Yeah. I don't think that should be an important thing to define me as a woman. But I get myself wrapped up in all these things. But but yeah, for example, I don't really shave. I don't like to shave my legs. I don't like to shave my armpits. And that is still so provoking to yeah, people. Yeah, it is people, provoking to people. Yeah. And and I and it's just hair. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's just hair. And if if it's a male armpit, it's okay. But if it's my armpit, yeah. it's all of a sudden provoking, which is very interesting. Well, it, I mean, increasingly, it's, it, we're becoming a very sort of strange society in terms of the way that we view hair anyway. I mean, increasingly, it's like less and less and less and yeah. less hair. So that we'll all, I don't know, you know, what people want us to be when they're when they're trying to get rid of the hair i mean i think people always talk about hairlessness being childlike but i don't even think it's that i think it's almost like futuristic I yeah think it's like, like alien like yeah, right yeah. it's to not be animals it's like to be above yeah. being animal and yeah, yeah. I, I quite like being an animal yeah exa- oh and i think yeah maybe that's the thing too that that it's this idea of elevating women to something something slightly better than men at least from an aesthetic point of view because mm. like and and men having slightly more hair than women you have to re- you have to emphasize that by removing more of women's hair yeah and obviously since men have slightly more muscle than women they have to have even more muscle than women to emphasize how, how strong and manly they are yeah. which again is just like uninteresting it's like it's like and it's like pressure to be thin and too thin on women is again to emphasize the difference mm. to make you know someone smaller and it's like this height thing i, I spoke and i don't want to offend them if they're listening I, and they've they've been out on the show but i spoke to a, a friend of mine who is quite small and she wants men to be taller than her mm. which is you know so she's lucky because she's quite small mm. so most of them will be but this idea that the man should always be taller than yeah. the woman it really does seem to be quite common in yeah. in, in, in in lots of lots of women I meet and it's it's so weird yeah and the same we did social dancing last year in in school and there's a girl in my class who's very tall and she said oh I don't I'm not really looking forward to it because almost all the boys are shorter than me and I was like okay what what, why oh it just gets really awkward when you're dancing with a man who's shorter than you (laughs) and I'm, I'm just like that's that's really interesting why that would be awkward yeah because it's not like it's something she's done no. <laughs> she was just that's just her body <laughs> like no, exactly. and that that men, men men i actually find many englishmen being quite short compared to <laughs> <that kind of>. <laughs> <laughs> sorry right. I, I know some but, short um, people they yeah. are they feel insecure about it if but, they're men. Really, but what, yeah but why like it's just it's again all these ideas of the things we have to be to be what we're expecting like to fulfill the expectations we that have been placed on us but if we could just focus on helping each other to just be who we are i think we would just be so much happier mm, i think you i think i think you're probably right i think it's very hard to change those change those yeah. things that's the thing and they're so complicated they like, are because the they're thing. so wrapped up and and there are elements of it that you you still Talking about that social dance class, actually, it was very interesting because not only were we studying Foxtrot and Waltz, we were also studying, like, the etiquette, the very old-fashioned etiquette. So 
like women, we had to we had to wear skirts or dresses, and the men had to wear suits. And the men have to lead. I always hate that. Yes, the men had to lead. Can't deal with it. It's very <laughs> challenging. Most of them were really good, um, and some of them were not so good, and we were not allowed to lead. And it was all these things. I remember once the, one of my classmates asked, "What if what if a guy steps on your foot?" And the teacher was like, "Well, then you apologize." The woman always apologizes wow. because the woman's job is to make the man look good, and she doesn't. You don't want to embarrass him, so you apologize. Wow, that's really interesting to Very have studied interesting. that and experienced that. Yeah, way. and and it's also interesting to see what happens with you when you're putting yourself in that. Because how often do we go and place ourselves? We were all all us women. We were sitting at cha on chairs in one end of the studio, and all the guys were standing on the other. And they had to come up and ask us to dance. We had to say yes, but we could obviously choose how we said yes. But we had to say yes. And that sensation you feel when you're sitting there and you're waiting for someone to come and pick you yeah, to how are ask you. Be that's Is just it something be else. That you want to pick you and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's something else. And also You've got to no be agency. led. Yeah. Yeah. And also to be led. And he and he said take. Ladies, I've heard that when you experience someone leading you in a good way, that's a very special experience. Take a note of that, because we don't feel that in our day and age anymore. And that could be very informative for you if you ever end up doing a character who lives in this time, who yes. lives in this place. And it's interesting because you do. There is a very special sensation when you're being led in a dance by a man who knows how to lead. Maybe it's the same by a woman who knows how to lead. I've never danced with a woman who knows how to lead. As, uh, and what was that sensation? It's, you can't describe it. In a way, I guess we come close to it in the way we work we, with contact improvisation. But that is more it's this idea of complicity, but when you're being led, you have to. You can only listen and res listen and respond. You cannot. Whereas when you're leading, you have to be so clear with what you want. Whereas the person who's being led can't want anything but to to fulfil the steps of the other person. So it's this. I guess it's this rewarding sensation. Of, of pleasing someone, of being, of almost foreseeing what they want, which obviously is a very classic quality of an ideal wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. So well, that was what it was about, wasn't it? it was yeah. to say if you if you were good at being led yeah. or you were good at leading, it meant that you were ideal to be you know, to be these you were the right person roles. to get married to. Mm -hmm they didn't have any other ways of socializing in, in lots of ways they sort of da no, the dance was, was how they worked it out yeah, yeah. And then there's I would love to study more cultures who don't have female and male dance they have like the females dance with the females and the men dance with the men like the, I think yeah. the Jews do that I think they may, at least they traditionally may certainly as uh, there certainly are cultures that do that yeah there are that's the thing people always say oh you know that there, there, there are other cultural ways of structuring things. There mm. are there are matriarchal societies. There mm. have been, and there probably are still. I mean, there are very complicated kind of gender 
different like cultures with absolutely this as much pressure on the gender roles but different different pressure different positions where people are like i there's a, a tribe i remember hearing about where the kind of the men have to sleep with the kind of grandmothers like that's the that's the first I know yeah. like I guess like women in their 40s I guess they'll be like first that's that's the so that they are trained by people who know what they're doing yeah. so that then when they m- marry like women then they are properly trained to do their job like that that being the kind of emphasis like so they don't on okay. women being the important part of the, the culture and the oh. men being there just to kind of serve the needs of the women is very similar to how we kind of look at women being there to serve the needs yeah. of men yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know there have been alternatives there have been different ways and we should maybe I think well, kind of I, consider I, them I also think when it comes to because I, I find that men are always surrounded with all this prestige that they always have to perform yeah. like women too but I think I think especially when it comes to sex you always talk about how how a man has to do his job like how a man cannot come too quickly how a woman I, I always say well, a, woman, a woman is always good in bed like I've heard people say that in, in a hetero het, heteronormative yeah, way, yeah. way. <laughs> a woman is always good in bed because and and I even had a boyfriend once who said he was a simple piece of machinery which was like the most the biggest turn off ever I was like <laughs> So what? Well, like, what? Why are you here with me then? Like, shouldn't that be something special? But it seems like men are always under this pressure to, to perform, like, to 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 get a woman to come, and and to 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 last for as long as she does, instead, like all these things instead of. But then again, I I guess it is. But yeah, you know, I just I guess it's it's not what you're talking about, the way you talk about it, how it's. It's not so much about oh the will to have have a lovely time together it's this about god i have to i have to really perform so that she thinks i'm i'm doing a good job yeah it's it's not it's not a, a conversation no it's you're in your own head worrying about what you must yeah do, exactly and you're not actually connecting with the other person fully if you're doing that yeah you should just make the other person look wonderful <laughs> <laughs> well that's a that's a good good place for me to ask the last question okay and um, i ask which is do you have anything that you want to plug which is a strange question plug or promote i guess oh, promote. If, I'm tr- if i'm translating a little oh bit. my dear <laughs> um i guess i would like to promote oh we have so many things coming up that i would love to promote theater eclectic performance at the Accidental Festival this summer. I think we'll be performing on 2nd of June and we're doing a piece called Fish, The Fish and the Denim River which is a devised piece <laughs> based on an old grim fairy tale called The Fisherman and His Wife. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll be performing at the Roundhouse in Camden. And okay, is that in on the 2nd of June? I th- believe so. So I'll make sure that this comes out close to it. Awesome. to promote that it's on the accidental festival anyway it's a part of that so and i think that seems to be a really cool festival that so sounded can, really cool yeah. i saw that on your facebook bringing in companies who are still students to perform yeah. at a big london venue the round yeah House. exactly yeah. so i think anyone who wants to support accidental festival whatever whichever show you go to you should just go see loads of shows because 
it's a good thing you'll see emerging artists. And you'll be on stage in that? I will. Gosh, I have to come and see you. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Okay. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Audience. <laughs> I think I was right on the Peter Brook reference. Brief internet surfing has suggested that I was, so uh, that's a, a rare first of being right, but I might not have been. So either way, it's a nice story. Victor Shlovsky was indeed the reference I was looking for. Art exists that one may recover the sensation of life. It exists to make one feel things, to make stone stony. The purpose of art is to impart the sensation of things as they are perceived and not as they are known. I will hopefully be going to see the Fish and the Denim River at the Accidental Festival 2012 at the Roundhouse Theatre, but I may not be able to make it because of other live things. I wrote a series of blogs about my experience going to see DV8 at the National Theatre, and I'll link to them in the show notes for this episode at www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. <laughs>